I was confused. As a Protestant, it just didn't make sense to me. Now, I knew Catholics had a high regard for Mary, and quite frankly, too high in my way of thinking then. But I just couldn't wrap my mind around one particular element of the Catholic understanding of Mary. I'll tell you what it was that was making me so confused, coming up next. Helping you grow deeper on your spiritual journey. Welcome to The Inner Life with Patrick Conley. Welcome to The Inner Life. If you're in need of a bit of help and hope for staying strong in the faith today, and let's face it, when aren't we? You've come to the right place. Our spiritual directors make it their goal to help you out in your journey of faith today. I am your host, Patrick Conley, and let me start off by wishing you a very happy and blessed Immaculate Conception today. I hope this solemnity finds you celebrating the goodness of our Lord to Our Lady. And don't forget to make it to Mass on this Holy Day of Obligation to partake firsthand in the whole reason for our Blessed Mother's Immaculate Conception. Well, in a way, today's Marian feast gets at the very thing that I was confused about as a Protestant when it came to Catholics and their view of Mary. It was all the titles. Our Lady of the Immaculate Conception. Our Lady of Perpetual Help. Our Lady of Lourdes. Our Lady of Victory. Our Lady of Guadalupe. Our Lady of the Rosary. I had all sorts of very basic, very honest questions about all these titles. I mean, are they all in reference to Mary? I didn't know. What makes one title different from another? Why do some titles contain geographical references and others spiritual or conceptual ones? Well, fast forward, and now, of course, I have a much better understanding of Marian devotions and apparitions than I did then. And more importantly, I have come to know personally our Blessed Mother as my own mother and how generous and loving she is toward her children. I get why we Catholics continue to honor and venerate her. And today on the show, on this wonderful Marian solemnity, we're honoring and venerating the Blessed Virgin, as we'll discuss Mary, Woman of the Eucharist. Guiding us in our discussion today, we welcome a brand new spiritual director who herself may just be known as Woman of the Eucharistic Revival. If you're following the revival, I'm betting you've received some emails from her. It's Sister Alicia Torres. Sister Alicia is a member of the Franciscans of the Eucharist of Chicago and managing editor of the Heart of the Revival newsletter. Sister, thanks for being with us. Welcome to The Inner Life. Thank you so much for having me. It's a joy to be with you. It is a joy to have you on the program. And since this is your first time on the program, why don't you start off by telling us a little bit about yourself? Sure. Our religious community is on the west side of Chicago at the Mission of Our Lady of the Angels. And I'm going into my 15th year now being here to serve the poor and to help share the good news of our Lord Jesus Christ through our evangelization work, through teaching. And we also have a big emphasis on the Eucharist being at the center of all we do through the celebration of Mass every day and Eucharistic adoration and inviting people to join us in that. So before I got here, I came to Chicago to go to Loyola University Chicago um, about 20 years ago. So I've been in the city for a long time. And before that, I lived with my family in various places because my dad and earlier on my mother were both in the U.S. Navy. So we traveled uh-huh. quite a bit. I was homeschooled for a while and then I went to a small Catholic school in high school, and then somehow I ended up in the Windy City, and I finished up my studies at Loyola, and then a couple of years later, 
I entered religious life at Our Lady of the Angels, and probably a lot of listeners are familiar with the school fire of December 1st, 1958 here at Our Lady of the Angels, where we lost tragically 92 children and three sisters of charity of the Blessed Virgin Mary. So in 2005, our superior, um, now Bishop Robert Lombardo, was invited by the late Francis Cardinal George to start a Catholic mission in this part of the city when, where many parishes had closed. And so now, um, you know, over 15 years later, it's a flourishing center where we serve about a thousand families every week with food wow. um, and have many other opportunities to share our faith with those in the neighborhood in the light of Christ. Amazing, amazing, Sister. Well, thanks be to God for your your fiat, your yes, uh, after our Blessed Mother um, in saying yes to this call of God on your life. We look forward to uh, continuing to hear more about the, the mission and the ministry that's going on there. So thank you for being such an important part of it. And speaking of being part of things, um, why don't you tell us a little bit about your involvement specifically with the Eucharistic Revival? Sure, yeah, that's been a tremendous joy. I began serving on the executive team for the National Eucharistic Revival back in 2021. And then I've been along the way serving in different ways. Um, I was on part of a very small team that helped to launch our National Eucharistic Preachers, which is the core of about 50 diocesan and religious priests who have been available to dioceses since the beginning of or the launch of the revival in June 2022. They've been yeah. preaching parish missions, etc. And then from that um, service, I was asked to help out with our weekly e-newsletter, and I have taken over leading that as the managing editor of Heart of the Revival, which offers information, inspiration, and formation every week for anyone who wants to sign up. It's free. Um, it comes right into your inbox. And then this fall of 2023, we launched The Pulse, which is our weekly short video on YouTube to highlight both inspirational information and also what's going on around the country in the world of revival, which is very yeah. exciting. It is. It is indeed. Well, all these wonderful resources too. And I, I mean, do you have time to do anything else? I, mean, <laughs> pray, <sleep. laughs> I do. I mean, I pray, I run almost every day. I participate nice. in my religious life. You know, when you say yes to God, he makes yeah. time for doing his will, right? Isn't that so true? Yeah. It, mm -hmm. It's really true. When we, uh, when we put him first then yeah, Time doesn't seem to have quite the same uh, uh, urgency to it, I, I suppose. He, being the master of time, seems to afford that as a gift very, very much well to his uh, faithful servants and followers. Well, Sister Elysia, we're, we're so grateful that you're with us as our spiritual director today here on The Inner Life as we're going to take a look at Mary, Woman of the Eucharist, and, uh, mm -hmm. and specifically, of course, that ties directly into the Eucharistic Revival. But let's not let uh, any more time go by before we come back <laughs> to the point that this is a fantastic Marian solemnity, Our Lady mm -hmm. of the Immaculate Conception being the patroness of America as well. And so we are honoring her and, uh, and all the way through the day-to-day, -day, of course. And so why, in your, in your thoughts, why is the Immaculate Conception such an important solemnity? Absolutely. You know, I mean, it goes all the way back to the mystery of sin in our world and how as human beings, we turned away from love and life. And that's represented by that choice of Adam and Eve in Genesis chapter three, grasping after that apple, which just really represents wanting to be the Lord of our own lives, right? And that disobedience. And so in order for God to save us, you know, the whole Bible is a story of salvation history, God's great love story that we're part of to this very day. 
God tried time and again with prophets, kings, great leaders like Moses and Abraham. And yet the people, which is us, kept turning away. And finally, God is like, okay, I need to send my son. And so he needed to prepare a beautiful vessel to receive his son. And that vessel is Our Lady. And part of her preparation was being preserved from the effects of original sin. So this is a great mystery in the order of grace that we as Catholics believe that it was in a sense codified in 1854 by the Pope at that time, Pope Pius IX. And so from that time, although we've believed and it's developed until that time when it was officially proclaimed, that Mary was completely free from original sin at the moment of her conception in the womb of her mother, Anne, and that she was also free from the effects of original sin, which we deal with in our daily life. And the big fancy theological term for that is concupiscence. Right. So Mary, completely human, had a human nature just like us, but free from all of the effects of original sin. Yeah. And what a gift and what a tremendous uh, way that uh, the Lord has blessed us all through, of course, that. And um, one of the reasons why we continue to honor and venerate and celebrate the Blessed Virgin Mary is because of the example that she is for all the rest of us. And through her, how God just made present all of the workings, his, his plan comes to fruition through her. And uh, we see that happening and we uh, we enter into with joy into a, a relationship with our Lord and our Lady as well. And uh, one of the things, as long as we're talking about Catholic devotion to the Blessed Virgin, uh, the, one of the things the Catechism says, uh, of course, she herself said, all generations will call me blessed. So mm-hmm. the Church's devotion to the Blessed Virgin is intrinsic to Christian worship. That's what the Catechism says. Why is mm-hmm. devotion to Mary intrinsic to Christian worship, Sister? Yeah, this is a really great question. And you got to pull back the lens a little bit because everything that we teach and believe about Mary has a direct impact on our understanding of Jesus. So Mary and Jesus um, are connected very intimately. And when we talk about Mary being intrinsic to Christian worship, this is actually to me so such a profound idea when we think about the Eucharistic revival going on because yeah. we're being invited to live a life of worship and worship means that we're getting outside of ourselves, right? We're, we're giving of ourselves. And when we talk about Christian worship, at the heart of Christian worship is the Paschal mystery, what Jesus did in order to save us from sin and death, his right. passion, death, resurrection, and ascension. And the central mystery within the Paschal mystery that we all struggle with every day of our lives is the question of suffering and sacrifice. So Jesus makes this ultimate sacrifice of himself in order to set us free. And now as followers of Jesus, we are invited to and actually impelled to participate in his sacrifice. The priest says at mass, may my sacrifice and yours be acceptable to God, the Father Almighty. So we are uniting ourselves to the sacrifice of Christ. And yet we cannot do that unless we have, or rather our ability to do that is gonna be limited without our devotion to Mary because she is first and foremost a type of the whole church meaning that she shows to us through her life, through her person, who we can become in union with Christ. And so she teaches us to make this gift of self in union with Jesus every time we go to worship at the Holy Sacrifice of the Mass. This is just profound. We could talk about this for hours and hours and hours. (laughs) She's the one that's literally standing at the foot of the cross, giving her fiat with her son to the Father. And this is just, it's absolutely profound. 
Yeah, exactly. And and I do I do think that um that as a Protestant I, so obviously in my in my remarks you picked up that I'm a I'm a late convert, late in life convert to uh to Catholicism. I came into the church when I was 38 years old and and uh had you know lots of great things that I got from my Protestant upbringing and my time with evangelical mm-hmm. Protestantism, great things there, but it it is there's a whole added dimension um to not just a veneration of mary it but actually mm-hmm. to my worship of christ in the mm-hmm. deeper and deeper i understand who mary is the more i am i feel like i'm able to join with her as you were just saying in this adoration this worship of her son mm-hmm. and all that he has done for the salvation of the world mm-hmm. absolutely you know, and I think that this is so important. By the way, welcome home. I'm glad you're with Thank us. You. Thank um, you. To the Catholic Church. But this is why it's so important for us, Patrick, to help people to understand the place of Mary in our faith yeah. because it can be confusing. You know, like, are we making her another God? No, we're not. And in our own lives, don't we ask our grandmas to pray for us? Don't we remember the people that have passed on before us? Like, we have these human experiences of asking others for their intercession. And so those are bridges we can help make for people so that Mary is not so much of a mystery, but she actually becomes someone alongside us as a mother and a fellow traveler on the road to heaven. Our spiritual director today is Sister Alicia Torres, who is talking to us about specifically Mary, but a woman, Mary, woman of the Eucharist. What's your Marian devotion like? How do you, how have you grown in your relationship with Mary over the course of the years? Do you have particular things that you employ to uh, deepen your your veneration of your honor of the Blessed Mother? We'd love to hear from you on this solemnity, this Marian solemnity. Give us a call on our toll free studio line triple eight nine one four nine one four nine again eight 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 nine one four nine one four nine. Or send us an email, innerlife at relevantradio.com. We'd love to get you on the air with Sister Alicia Torres, who is our spiritual director for today. Mary, woman of the Eucharist, is our topic. And, Sister, since that is our topic, what are we saying when we say Mary, woman of the Eucharist? How is Mary a woman, the woman of the Eucharist? Mm-hmm. Right, and so when we hear the word Eucharist, we think of the celebration of the Mass, we think of the Blessed Sacrament. Jesus says at the end of is it Matthew's gospel, I will be with you always. Yeah. And so when he says that, the most profound way that he's with us in this life is sacramentally in the Eucharist, in the Blessed Sacrament. And when we say someone is of the Eucharist, we're connecting them intimately, intrinsically, if you will, with the Eucharist. And so Mary bears in her womb the divine son, fully God, fully man, Jesus Christ. And she, we don't often think about this, but she is part of that apostolic church, right? And those years and decades after the ascension of Jesus, she's around. So Mary, who received him physically into her womb, also received sacramentally Jesus in those early celebrations of the mass um, before she passed on and before she was assumed into heaven, into that eternal splendor. And so she shows us how to unite ourselves intimately with Jesus and his gift of self, not only in the profound experience of the Paschal mystery and uniting our sufferings and our sacrifice, but also in the joys and the ups and downs of the ordinariness of our everyday life. I think sometimes that we can maybe get a little bit stuck on those profound moments of life, but remember that most of life is in the ordinary moments, right? And how can Mary help us to live Eucharistically, to be completely, or rather more and more completely 
united with Jesus and his gift of self in the everydayness of our lives, which is where most of our holiness gets worked out. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and that's a great reminder that it is it is about the day to day living. And uh, one of the things that I've, I so one of the things I do when I'm not uh, hosting the inner life here is I'm I'm teaching religion classes at our mm. local Catholic school. And mm-hmm. one of the things that I, I keep trying to emphasize to them is that you know it's we venerate and honor uh, the Blessed Mother, of course. We venerate and honor Saint Joseph. We all these wonderful biblical saints that are there that are known around the world. But now, but I mean, excuse me, back then. This is relatively unknown. And so all of this world-changing, all these world-changing events happens in an obscure place on the outskirts of the Roman Empire with, uh, you know, with a a young girl who uh, was otherwise probably relatively unknown, uh, Mm -hmm. which is amazing. But it's an I think that's an invitation for us, isn't it, to to step in, just as you were saying, to invite her into the ordinary mundane moments of everyday life. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. And, you know, it's not so much so of being known, but rather being known, <laughs> meaning being known yeah, by okay. God, yeah. you know, and so it doesn't matter how many people know us. And that's really important to think about in our current cultural context, because everyone wants to be known. They want to be on social media. They want to show everything of their lives. And yet Mary is this profound witness of the simplicity of ordinary life. And it it makes me think of that little quote from St. Bernadette Subaru. They asked her, you know, why why are you living in this convent now after Mary appeared to you? And she told you, by the way, I am the Immaculate Conception. And Mm. Bernadette said, you know, I was just a broom in the hands of Our Lady. And she used me. And when she was done, she put me away. And so we think of those pivotal moments of Mary's life, the birth of our Lord, the death of him on the on the cross, right? But then most of it was just this ordinary life. We don't even read anything about her after the death of Jesus in John's gospel. Like she's not in the Acts of the Apostles other than at Pentecost. So, you know, that really says a lot that the, the most privileged of all women is also arguably the most humble of all women that the world has ever seen. Yeah, yeah, well, very good. Well, Sister Alicia Torres, again, is our spiritual director today. We're talking about Mary, woman of the Eucharist. So let us know what your Marian devotion is like and how you can encourage and inspire others to a deeper understanding and relationship with our Blessed Mother and all the wonderful things, a recipient of all the wonderful things that her intercession, her love, her care, and her guiding us to her son can do in your life. Give us a call at 888-914-9149. Again, 888-914-9149. Or send us an email, innerlife@relevantradio.com. Got lots more of this conversation coming up as we honor the Blessed Virgin on this solemnity of the Immaculate Conception. More of the Inner Life coming up right after this. Don't go away. Thanks to our sponsor, the University of Dallas, the Catholic University for Independent Thinkers. UD's rigorous liberal arts education forms the mind and nourishes the soul to produce graduates who renew our culture. Find out more and access a free guide on choosing a college at relevantradio.com slash udallas. We are honoring 
Jordan Shee, who is full of grace today here on Relevant Radio and across the world in this solemnity of the Immaculate Conception. We are talking about today here on The Inner Life, Mary as woman of the Eucharist. And as you just heard during that break, that, uh, yeah, we're all going to be on the Relevant Radio team is going to be there live and in person at the Eucharistic Congress next year. And uh, we want you to join us. Let's all show up for Jesus together. It's going to be a once-in-a-lifetime experience next July in Indianapolis at the Eucharistic Congress. Check out travel packages that we have available to you, as well as Eucharistic Encounter videos at relevantradio.com slash encounter. And someone who's very familiar with the Eucharistic Revival herself, Sister Alicia Torres, is our spiritual director today as we're talking about Mary as woman of the Eucharist. She serves as managing editor of the Heart of the Revival newsletter. And, Sister, as we're talking about Our Lady as woman of the Eucharist, too, um, Pope Francis said last year that Mary teaches us to live Eucharistically. What does he mean? What What do we mean by that, to live Eucharistically? Mm-hmm. What, is that, what's, what is that about, and how does Mary teach us to do that? Yeah, absolutely. You know, this is something that Bishop Cousins, who is leading, or rather, on behalf of the bishops, he's leading the Eucharistic Revival, um, and myself as well, have really been talking about what does it mean to live a Eucharistic life? Bishop Cousins says that to live a Eucharistic life is to live a life of worship. Um, And when I think about it, and what does that mean, like worship, we were talking about that a little bit earlier, you know, Mary is intrinsic to Christian worship, but it's a life ordered toward getting out of ourselves, being capable of making a gift of ourselves, of sacrificing for others. We talk about worship, that's our our adoration of God, you know, something that we give to God alone. But when we look at what Jesus in the Eucharist accomplishes, it's this complete gift of self, where he lays his life down and then raises it up again because he is God, and then he goes out on mission, right? And so to live a Eucharistic life means that I don't end with my relationship with the Lord that I cultivate personally, I am aware that I am part of a community. This is why we need to go to mass. You know, worshiping God, praying to the Lord at home is very good, and we need a personal prayer life. But something unique about the Catholic dispensation is that we we are a religion where we are very mindful of community, and we we receive that from the tradition of ancient Israel. The Israelites never thought of themselves as individuals. They thought of themselves as a corporate body, a community. We call ourselves the mystical body of Christ. Mm-hmm. Um, and that's really important that we go at a celebration of the Eucharist. We go to the mass. We're with the community. We're with the parish family, and we need to be worshiping together. And so living that Eucharistic life, Eucharistically gets us outside of ourselves and aware of those around us. I mean, if you think about Mary, what does she do the moment after she receives Jesus into her womb effectively? She goes on mission to her cousin Elizabeth. She goes to visit her. She goes to serve her. She goes to make a gift of herself Mm. to this woman who is older and toward the latter part of her pregnancy. And so Mary is this gorgeous example of Eucharistic living. And I mean, I'm so, Pope Francis has been such an advocate for the Eucharistic revival in these past several months. He can't stop talking about the Eucharist, about adoration, about what does it mean to live a life patterned after the pattern of our Lord. And it's wonderful that he's also bringing Our Lady into that. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. And it's it's uh, it's exciting, too, to think about that. Uh, in, I'm, I'm just projecting head forward, and you're talking about, you know, Bishop Cousins talking about these things. And, and so we're in the midst of this revival, and as we're looking forward to the Congress and everything, just how... I mean, what what kind of a role is she playing in the whole? Um, is is Our Lady playing in the whole you know sculpting of everything that's going to be happening next summer? 
Oh my gosh. Well, think about it. One of the, one of the ways that we identify Mary as spouse of the Holy Spirit and it is the Holy Spirit who has inspired this Eucharistic revival. The bishops <laughs> prayerfully discerned this. You know, they didn't just think like, oh, let's have something, some program. This is not a program. Bishop Cousins says that again and again. And I echo him. This is a movement that the Lord is inviting us all into. If you read Sacramentum Caritatis from Pope Benedict, um, God rest his soul, he effectively identifies in the first paragraphs of that encyclical that every renewal in the life of the church has become, begun with a rediscovery, rediscovery of the centrality of the Eucharist in our lives. And so yeah. the, the possibility of the graces and the renewal and the revival that will flow from this are beyond our imagination. And Mary has been accompanying us all along the way. And under the title of Our Lady of Guadalupe, she is the patroness of the National Eucharistic Revival. We actually published a new essay yesterday about Our Lady of Guadalupe and encounter of our Lord in the Eucharist um, yeah. and a couple of other resources as well. So she's, she's at the heart of the Eucharistic revival. I love it. I love it. We're talking today about Mary as woman of the Eucharist with our spiritual director, sister Alicia Torres. And we're just, I guess we're just kind of extolling all the wonderful things about our blessed mother, kind of reveling as her children here in all that uh, all that she is and all that she does for us. So if you have specific ways in which your Marian devotion has really blossomed over the course of time, maybe there are particular things that happen along the way that you could share and encourage and inspire others to a deeper relationship with Our Lady who leads us into a deeper relationship with our Lord, give us a call. 888-914-9149. We'd love to get you on the air at 888-914-9149. Our email address, if you'd prefer, is innerlifeatrelevantradio.com. One of the things, as long as we are talking about Pope Francis, let's bring another mm-hmm. pope, a saint. And you you mentioned Pope Benedict, but let's bring St. John Paul II into this, too. Mm-hmm. Um, so he teaches that Mary helps us to contemplate mm-hmm. Christ's face. Mm-hmm. Wow. I mean, that in and of itself is is an amazing statement worthy of a lot of meditation there. So mm-hmm. how how if if that's true, then certainly she can help us, you know, deepen our own devotion to the Eucharist, maybe especially when we're finding it difficult to see the consecrated oath with the eyes of faith, knowing that the real presence of Jesus, body, blood, soul, and divinity is there. Mm-hmm. I really, this is such a beautiful, like you said, Patrick, I mean, I could spend a lot of time thinking about this statement from Ecclesia de Eucharistia. Yeah. And um, what I've been, when I've been praying about this for a little bit over a year, this is what's really come to my heart. And I'm, and I'm sure that it's true you know, we, we talk about the Blessed Sacrament. This is the sacramental presence of our Lord. This is a profound mystery. You know, the doctrine of transubstantiation, we believe Jesus Christ is fully present, body, blood, soul, and divinity, sacramentally. And it is true that we are created in the image and likeness of God. You know, that's our Christian anthropology that's revealed in the first chapter of Genesis. And Jesus is God and the yeah, Eucharist is right. Jesus. And so when we gaze upon our Lord in the Eucharist, we are in a hidden and mysterious way gazing upon his face. But here's what's been really profound to me as I've prayed with this. We are living in a moment of history where the absolute nature of the human person is under question. Yes. The very nature of what it means to be human is under question. And I think that there is nothing more profound that the church could offer at this moment than inviting people to gaze upon Christ in the Eucharist to rediscover and deepen our identity as created in God's image and likeness. Um, because only the Lord can reveal to our hearts 
that are wounded, that are broken, that are confused. What does it mean to be made in his image and likeness as male, as female, the beautiful gift of our sexual difference um, and to be grounded in that. And so there's so much there. Um, again, we could talk about this for a very long time. <laughs> right, right. Well, and that's just, I mean, it's just the storehouse of the wonderful things again. And this is, I mean, going back to my my show open there is that uh, I think it's one of the things that I personally, just speaking for myself as a Protestant, was was not um, was not aware of that there was just this depth of richness that is able to be mined in the in the living out of a devotion to our blessed mother that um it's not mm-hmm. it's not all about her in as much as it is uh, about her leading us to her son right and her enabling mm-hmm. and empowering our our own worship of of her son and uh it's mm-hmm. it's there's just such a, a wonder about it that uh, i'm still learning i'm still growing i've i'm 13 years old as a catholic now able to cause mm-hmm. some real trouble <laughs> so um but i am uh i'm I'm uh, I'm learning, I'm growing, and I'm loving it. So I think that there's a wonderful thing. Let's talk a little bit about Mary's fiat sister, because I think that um, that is one of the ones that comes up regularly when we're doing shows on, say, you know, doing God's will, accepting God's will, uh, being obedient, that sort of thing. Um, what do you think in terms of Mary's fiat, and how does that help us to live Eucharistically? Mm-hmm. Right. Well, Our Lady, she simply says yes, right? Behold, I am the handmaid of the Lord. Let it be done to me according to your word. And then the angel departed from her. We don't often think about that last line in that section or that little passage about the Annunciation. But, I mean, consider that, Patrick. The one to whom you could ask any question um, is gone. You know, and she literally walks by faith for the rest of her life. Now, she was a good Jewish young woman. So she had been taught, she had understood and read the prophets. So she had some sense of what, or rather who the Messiah would be and what it would be like. She probably heard um, the suffering servant, all that, but that was what she had. In addition to this very short um, annunciation by Gabriel of who her son would be. So that's really important is that when we say yes, we say yes to the whole package whether or not the box has been open and we have kind of examined the pieces that are in there. Right. Um, I love this quote that Nick found for us, how our, our Holy Father, Pope um, John Paul II, connects Mary's fiat to our amen when mm-hmm. we receive the body of Christ. I mean, do we, I mean, even reflecting on that can help us to pray the Mass more deeply from the heart, that when we go up in procession to receive Holy Communion, we say amen. We're saying amen to the whole mystery of salvation. You know, like we're saying amen to, I believe that this is Jesus Christ hidden under the appearance of this tiny little host and yet fully God, fully man coming into my heart to dwell in the tabernacle of my soul, just as Jesus corporally dwelt in the womb of Our Lady. So she is, in a sense, the first tabernacle. I love um, Archbishop Gomez earlier this year around the Feast of the Annunciation said that Our Lady um, was basically had, she basically celebrated the first Eucharistic pilgrimage or procession because she went with our Lord in her womb to Elizabeth. So these nice. wonderful connections that our bishops are making for us during Eucharistic revival have been gorgeous yeah. as well. Yeah, yeah. I really appreciate, Sister, that you started that whole reflection with talking about that last line of our gospel lesson today on the Solemnity of the Immaculate Conception, that the angel departed from her. Because I don't know what it was, but it was something about that when I was in Mass this morning that it just hit me in a whole new way. And for me, I guess the the reflection that it, it spurred in my head was that 
what again a wonder that again in this in this relatively obscure unknown place this unknown girl is visited by the archangel himself mm-hmm. they have like you said you know this person that she or this this not person well this this angelic being that mm-hmm. she could ask of any question um but he was seeking out and god was seeking out mary's mary's yes and that's, I mean, just that is worthy of a lot of reflection as well, that God waits for our yes. And mm-hmm. and that seems to be something that even in entering into, um, entering into a Eucharistic life, entering into the Holy Sacrifice of the Mass, that he still awaits our yes. And that's, that's just amazing to me. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. Well, and that's like, in a sense, like we hear this phrase sometimes, especially in 20th century theology, the humility of God, <laughs> you know, like yeah. he does not need us, but he chooses to need us, which, you know, that's, right. there's a theological distinction there. Of course, God is omnipotent. He is all, he's, he's all powerful, all these things. And yet he wants our cooperation. That's what Paul means when he says, I fill up in my own body what is lacking in the sufferings of Christ. Nothing is lacking, but Jesus wants our participation because he wants to be in communion with us. So Mary is this profound icon of communion with God in her own person and also in her heart. Um, Balthazar talks about that. He says, Mary conceived Jesus in her heart before she conceived him in her womb. Because of that willingness to say yes to God. And God does not force this on her. He doesn't impose it on her. He invites us just like in the everydayness of our life. God is constantly inviting us to participate in his will. And the more still we are inside, the more recollected, aware, attentive, we can follow those movements of grace throughout our day and live in a greater peace, the similar kind of peace that Mary had. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And, uh, you know, I was also reflecting on that, too. And I love that. I love that quote. And I and I also was thinking about. Well, so Mary was had this unique calling of bearing the son of God to the world in her womb. And yet we all are invited to bear the son of God to the world in our hearts. Right. I mean, mm-hmm. and that's that's based and centered around the Holy Eucharist. I mean, that's how that, that's how that primarily occurs. And, uh, oh man, there's just so many good things. And I'm loving this conversation where we're talking today with sister Alicia Torres. If you'd like to join this great conversation about Mary woman of the Eucharist, if you'd like to share in ways that uh, Mary herself has meant a lot in your own development, in your spiritual life, your relationship with our Lord, give us a call. Triple eight, nine, one, four, nine, one, four, nine, again, eight, 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 nine, one, four, nine, one, four, nine, or send us an email inner life at relevantradio.com. We've got another break on tap for us right now, but we'll be back with more of the conversation right after this. Thanks to our sponsor, the University of Dallas, the Catholic University for Independent Thinkers. UD's rigorous liberal arts education forms the mind and nourishes the soul to produce graduates who renew our culture. Find out more and access a free guide on choosing a college at relevantradio.com slash udallas. Welcome back to The Inner Life. We are honoring our Blessed Mother today on the Solemnity of the Immaculate Conception, speaking with Sister Alicia Torres, member of the Franciscans of the Eucharist of Chicago and managing editor of the Heart of the Revival newsletter. 
And we're talking today about our Blessed Mother Mary as woman of the Eucharist. And if you'd like to join the conversation, you can certainly do so at 888-914-9149. So Thomas Engeser is taking our phone calls for us today. And Nick Sentovich is our producer. As always, my gratitude to both of them for their help and assistance in the program today. So, sister, um, wonderful things that are that are going on, and uh, we've been talking about specifically pulling from Ecclesia de Eucharistia from Saint John Paul II, and uh, more from that. I he likens the Eucharist and the Canticle of Mary, the Magnificat, um, and first and foremost, he says praise and thanksgiving, mm. and she praises God. Mary praises God through Jesus, but she also praises him in Jesus and with Jesus. This is the true Eucharistic attitude, is what St. John Paul II has written. So uh, I guess the question is, how how do we get there? How do we maintain, how do we develop, first of all, and how do we maintain a Eucharistic attitude? Mm-hmm. Yeah, this is a beautiful, beautiful question, a beautiful passage again from John Paul II. You know, an attitude rightly so, is something that develops. So we can grow into having a bad attitude about something, perhaps a negative mindset or being jealous um, kind of habitually, or we can develop a good attitude, like being grateful or noticing the good in others and praising God for that. And so Eucharistic attitude has to do with openness of heart and how is my heart being formed, right? Mary's heart was completely open to God and she did very much cultivate this, what we're calling Eucharistic attitude. I want to focus in on those words, though, that John Paul II um, highlights through, with, okay. and in. And that, yeah, okay. of course, we know is from that doxological moment at the end of the Eucharistic prayer where the priest elevates the consecrated host and the chalice with the consecrated wine. Now, Jesus, body, blood, soul, divinity says, through him, with him, and in him, O God, Almighty Father, in the unity of the Holy Spirit, all glory and honor is yours forever and ever. Amen. And so... This moment is very important for us when we talk about cultivating a Eucharistic attitude because it, again, calls us to be mindful of in whose image we are created. We are created in the image of a triune God, one God who reveals himself as three persons, Father, Son, Holy Spirit, this trinity of persons who is in this profound communion of self-gift at all times. The only disposition that God has toward us is one of love. And the Trinity is a communion of self-gift, giving and receiving love. And so when we talk about the Holy Sacrifice of the Mass and the Eucharistic attitude, we need to remember that the Paschal Mystery is not this thing that the Son of God does by himself. Everything that Jesus does is always opus trinitatem, a work of the Trinity. Jesus doesn't work or operate as a solo kind of, you know, cowboy out there saving whomever. He is always united to the Father and the Spirit. So that moment at the end of the Eucharistic prayer, to me, is very pivotal for our cultivation of a Eucharistic attitude because with the priests and the whole body, the whole assembly that's gathered at Mass, we all are invited to gaze upon the consecrated host and in our hearts let those words of the priest echo through him, with him, in him. We are proclaiming how we cultivate a Eucharistic attitude And we're participating in adoration, praise, and thanksgiving of God. So this is a moment of Trinitarian adoration at the Mass. That's important because sometimes we can experience and, and even think about going to Mass as being about relating to Jesus. But note that all the prayers of the priest at Mass are directed to the Father. 
right? And then the priest is praying in the person of Jesus and the Holy Spirit is operative all throughout the mass. Mary herself witnesses to relationship with the Trinity. She's a daughter of the Father, an obedient child of, of um, an obedient member of the people of Israel. She's spouse of the Holy Spirit. She's mother of Jesus, fully God and fully man. So this Eucharistic attitude has to do with how do I live a life of worship ordered to my praise and adoration of the Trinity because Jesus points us to the fullness of the Godhead at every Mass. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and it's a great thing to... It's a great thing to bear in mind, and one of these things. It, it wouldn't. It, I, I don't know about you, sister. Maybe you. Maybe you have this experience that when you go to Holy Mass, and uh, you know the the sacrifice is happening, occurring on the altar. It'd be wonderful to be able to draw all these things to mind, but, mm. <laughs> but somehow for me, I got to say that uh, it's it's wonderful that we have this opportunity to talk about it now, because mm-hmm. hopefully that will ever increase our devotion to our Lord. And uh, how how Our Lady does open that up, even within that context of the Mass, that like you were saying, this Trinitarian doxological entry into, this is the way that it occurs, this is the only way that it occurs, is through Him, with Him, and in Him, right? Mm-hmm. And uh, what a wonderful example that she's given in that. Mm-hmm. Well, may we maintain that Eucharistic attitude throughout our daily living, and especially as we enter into the Holy Sacrifice of the Mass. Mm-hmm. Um, sister, maybe turning more to how what kind of an effect this has in our own lives, how can Mary help us move from receiving the Eucharist at Mass, of course, to serving others charitably? I mean, what's what's the connection there, and what what role does our Blessed Mother play in that? Absolutely. You know, this is a very um, thematic movement that we are cultivating as we serve the National Eucharistic Revival, this dynamic between encounter and being sent on mission. Um, When we encounter our Lord, Mary gives us the template between the Annunciation and the Visitation. Annunciation, she encounters Jesus. She receives him into her womb. Visitation, she goes out on mission to serve her cousin Elizabeth, right? Even in that uh, kind of like a minor encounter at the miracle of the wedding feast at Cana, Mary goes to her son and she says, they have no wine. And he says, woman, what is that to you or to me? And so she goes from that encounter with her son, knowing that he will respond. And she turns to the head waiter and he, she says, do whatever he tells you. Right. So she knows what he's going to do. And she is part of the mission of her son. She's cooperating with it. And so all in, in the, in the vignettes of salvation history, where we have the historical Virgin Mary showing us how to live this way of encounter mission. She is our model and she accompanies us in this. And this is something that is really important for us to cultivate as we mature in our spiritual lives. We go from the notion of what we need to what the others need. And this is something that we see in children, right? So very young children, their whole world is getting their needs met, you know, as they differentiate from their parents, as they recognize that they're individual. But then as they go through elementary and into middle school, they start to recognize, oh, there's other people. They have needs too. Children can cultivate a profound sense of generosity in their early years if they're surrounded by good examples. So Mary, in a sense, kind of, you know, she opens wide her the arms of her mantle and she encloses all of us as her children into her good example. And we can then cultivate this movement through her intercession of our hearts going from encounter into missional service alongside Jesus. And what is the ultimate service of charity? Patrick, the ultimate service of charity is sharing the good news that Jesus died for us and that he wants us to be part of his kingdom. 
And how do we help others enter into that? So our corporal and spiritual works of mercy are, are the bedrocks of that. They're, they're the cornerstone of that. Matthew chapter five, you know, whatever you did for the least of my brothers and sisters. But as Catholic followers of Jesus Christ, we're not doing the works of charity corporally simply because we don't want people to be hungry. We do it because we're motivated by that divine hunger within each person. We want their bodies to be nourished, but we also want their hearts and their souls to be nourished. So in our Catholic ministerial and apostolic work, we need to remember that, that we're not just making sure people's bodies are fed and clothed, but that their hearts are fed and in a sense enclosed by the warmth of God as well. Amazing. Amazing. Um, it's a, yeah, I love the reflection. I love the I love the uh, point in which Our Lady does indeed help us to, to help us to live out this just charitable service to others. And I love that you said you know because of the divine hunger that is that is in each and every human heart. Our spiritual director today, Sister Alicia Torres, who is leading us through a conversation on Mary, Woman of the Eucharist, on the Solemnity of the Immaculate Conception, had an email come in from an anonymous listener who said, "When I was hospitalized, I was unable to attend my son's wedding." I can imagine that's a pretty big sacrifice there, yeah. Anyway, she writes, though this was deeply disappointing, I found comfort in praying the Holy Rosary during the time the ceremony mm-hmm. was being held. She writes, now, several years later, I continue praying the rosary for my son's family, which now includes not only a wife, but three lovely daughters. Mm-hmm. And I think there's just, I mean, Our Lady, as as woman of the Eucharist, I mean, there is that consolation of her presence that is there with us as well, yeah? Mm-hmm. Absolutely. Well, in her presence to us, because she was completely present to Jesus. You know, that's a word that we hear, or, or rather we ought to consider when we go into Mass, is that Jesus through the sacrifice of the Mass becomes fully present to us, but how do we allow ourselves to be present to Him? And something that I I want to share just because I'm Franciscan and I can't help myself is, you know, St. Francis had a profound devotion to the Eucharist, which most people don't realize, and to Our Lady. He loved Our Lady. He founded the Franciscan Order at Our Lady of the Angels, the little Port Sancola Church, which you can still see to this very day in Assisi. But St. Francis, in his Christology, was profoundly captivated by the Incarnation. And when we think about that, Mary was present in her own way in the pivotal moments of the incarnation. So we have Christ in the crash, Christ on the cross, and then in her participation of Christ in the Eucharist. And so Mary adored our Lord in that little, you know, manger, that crash. She adored our Lord as he hung on the cross. And she adored our Lord in her encounters with Jesus in the Eucharist. And that's something that the Franciscan spirituality really offers to the church is remembering Jesus and being captivated by the incarnation. And Mary was completely consumed by the reality of the incarnation. And so as you know, we travel this Advent journey with Mary toward that feast, that great solemnity of Christmas, we can, we can think about and contemplate with her and be amazed by the, the beauty and the profundity of the incarnation and how Jesus remains with us sacramentally in the Eucharist as part of the gift of the incarnation. Mm, wow, and what a gift. Wow. Sister, this has been a fascinating conversation for me. It's uh, even over the course of the hour. It's been a great boost to my own faith, my own devotion to our Blessed Mother, and all the wonderful things that we've been covering today here in the show. Um, quickly, before we ask you for a, a closing prayer, I wanted to um, make sure that people knew how to stay up to date with the revival, and I thought you would be a great person to ask just that. 
Absolutely. You can visit our website, eucharisticrevival.org, or you can sign up for the newsletter, eucharisticrevival.org slash newsletter. Um, and that's completely free. And like I said, we have a weekly um, video on YouTube as well, and there'll be more on social media. Yeah, very good. And of course, you can always tune in for Father Rocky's Eucharistic Encounter videos. New one drops each week, and you can watch them all by going to relevantradio.com slash encounter. Sign up to receive them in your email inbox every week as well. So relevantradio.com slash encounter. Well, sister, um, again, thank you so much for taking the time to be with us. It's been great having you on the program for the first time, hopefully not the last either. But as we close the show, we like to ask our sisters for a prayer for us all, please, if you would. Absolutely. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. Amen. Heavenly Father, we thank you so much for drawing us together as your beloved children this day. Help us to remain open to the Holy Spirit just as Mary was, and help us to always walk with Jesus on this road to heaven. We make this prayer in his holy name. Amen. Amen. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. Amen. That's Sister Alicia Torres, who is uh, very diligently leading us all into a greater understanding and keeping us up to date with what's going on with the Eucharistic Revival. So, uh, yes, indeed, as the managing editor of the Heart of Revival newsletter. I hope this Marian feast has, is filled with blessings for you and that your devotion to our Blessed Mother reaps wonderful spiritual benefits in your own spiritual life this day and every day. I hope you have a wonderful weekend as well. Coming up on Monday, having a rule of life with our spiritual director, Father Bobby Blood. And up next, of course, is the Holy Sacrifice of Mass with our celebrant, Father Brian Belongi. Until next time, friends, grace and peace.